Hi Brickies, I'm Dominic, the last one standing with a kink for cannibalism. And I'm Kate, the resident phobia expert who also hears voices. And you're listening to Shit and Bricks. A podcast where we talk shit about stuff that scares us. Ripping a few laughs and survival tips along the way. As always, please subscribe, rate and review us. And don't forget to follow us on the socials at Shit and Bricks Podcast. Like the morning after a night on the curries and cans, here it comes. So drop your ducks, pop a squat and let's get into it. And so am I. What? <laughs> what? I don't believe it. What, 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 what? What's that other song? <laughs> <laughs> Macklemore. That's the one. I'm gonna pop some tags. Only got twenty dollars in, in my, my pocket. pocket. <laughs> that was the folk version I just gave you. <laughs> and I don't know why I made that sound. <laughs> that this? I don't know. What pocket is that? Someone's pocket. <laughs> okay. Hi, Kate. Hi, Dominic. How are you? <laughs> Clearly, I'm well. <laughs> oh, we are all over it today. My computer just shat itself, but we're back. We're all cool with shitting on shitting bricks. Totally. In fact, we encourage it. I was just watching a really informative TikTok on anal fishes. So go watch oh, that. Absolutely. Learn something, kids. That's what we always say. Yes. About your bottom. Mmm. All right, Kate. I think we're just going to have to jump straight into it. We don't please. Have, we don't have any Brewpod networks. We don't have anything other than please go sign up to our Patreon. We love you. Yes. Please. But I have. I've had bloobs for this story. Mm. Blue boobs. Blue boobs. whole two weeks. That's what our uh, merch idea of the week is going to be. I'm going to do a t-shirt design of blue boobs. Yay! Bloops. I've got bloobs. Because why does it have to be blue balls all the time? Like, let's be inclusive, folks. Whatever yeah. you want it to be blue is you can be blue. We're just excited. Bloops. Bloops. <laughs> so for those that have no idea what we're talking about, two weeks ago I decided to do probably my all-time favourite or one of my all-time favourite stories, which I've been saving for a special occasion. Um, and we are doing it in two parts, and, that is, and that's the story of the Summerton Man. <gasps> Summerton Man! So I'm sure you're all, you know, just sitting at home gagging and, and telling me over the device that you're listening to. Over the wireless. To, <laughs> to shut up, Dom, and get to the story. <laughs> but... I knew that this was going to be a good time to do this story because my little birdies told me that there was some announcements coming down the pipeline soon about this uh, case. Yes. So I thought, let's get in the first one before the announcements are made. And again, if you don't know what I'm talking about, uh, immediately after the release of Summerton Man episode one, there was a series of uh, updates and articles all across the world because it's that famous a story yeah <clears throat> explaining that it is solved <gasps> oh my oh, god my goodness you did not like you didn't give any inkling that this was going to be something that was coming down the pipeline and i foolishly sent you the link uh when i saw this story <laughs> and they're like it's been solved i was like oh my god dominic look at this it's like crazy at the time you released your story and you're like i know, I know babe. <laughs> i got you <laughs> 
But it does make it so real. And Kate and I, we, we like to find stories every now and again that have a modern or, a, you know, they're relevant still today. And yeah. I didn't want to hint at it because I wasn't 100% sure that we were going to have an update. I'd hate to promise it and then it not come to fruition. Um, and Kate has been so well behaved, folks. She has not read a single thing. So she has no fucking clue None. what's happened. None. I am here listening for the first time. I'm so excited. Breaking news. But anyway, that's how amazing and powerful Kate are as, you know, faux, you know, investigators and crime scene solvers. Yes, I think that's what it's called. I remember that that series, <laughs> Law and Order, Crime Scene Solvers. That's a good series. <laughs> Only ran for a couple of eps, but hey, check it out. That's all right. So let's get straight into it. Um, I'm not even going to recap where I left it off. Um, I'll say two words, Jessica Thompson. So go back, <gasps> listen to episode one. It's really good. <clears throat> but we're going to jump straight back into the story, Kate, and then I'm going to finish with the latest. Okay, here we go. Yeah. Spy theories, right? Yeah. It was pretty obvious to us after episode one that there was this, a lot of confusing and kind of sus things going on, right? Especially around the the book, Rubaiyat, um, and codes and all that sort of stuff, you know, name tags off of clothes, blah, blah, blah. So, uh-huh. so easy, just like the Isdal woman, for us to just assume and go for the easy excuse of, no, he must have been a spy. So let's unpack that let's there has been persistent speculation that the dead man was a spy due to the circumstances and historical context of his death at least two sites relatively close to adelaide were of interest to spies at the time one was the radium hill uranium mine and the woomera test range an anglo-australian military research facility so they were just there for all the churches? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Okay. Name of the father and of the son. The son and the uranium plant. Amen. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now, the man's death also coincided with a reorganization of Australian security agencies, which would culminate the following year with the founding of the Australian Secret Intelligence Organization, otherwise known as... ACO. ASIO. ASIO. <laughs> ASIO. So... Kind of timing, right? It's pretty powerful. Yeah. This would be followed by a crackdown on Soviet espionage in Australia, which was revealed by intercepts of Soviet communications under the Venona Project. Now, another theory concerns Boxall. Hope you remember who Boxall was. It's okay if you don't. Okay, I don't. I'm so sorry. I thought that was a test and I thought I failed real quick. So (laughs) That's right. Boxall was the connection to Jessica Thompson, who also had a copy of the book. Ruby, yeah. Yeah. So, Mm -hmm. and we all thought, you know, Summoned to Man must have been Boxall. She'd given the book to Boxall, but they ended up finding him. And it turns out he still had his original copy, which was. Yeah, he was fine quite rare, but it was still a bit dodge. Anyway, there was another theory that concerned Boxall, um, who was reportedly involved in intelligence work during and immediately after World War II. In a 1978 television interview, Stuart Littlemore asks, Mr. Boxall, you had been working, hadn't you, in an intelligence unit before you met this young woman, Jessica 
Thompson, or Jessica Harkness as her alias was. Mm-hmm. Did you talk to her about that at all? In reply, Boxall says no. And when asked if Harkness could have known, Boxall replies, not unless somebody else told her. Now, when Littlemore suggests in the interview that there may have been an espionage connection to the dead man in Adelaide, Boxall replies, it's quite a melodramatic thesis, isn't it? Hmm. Boxall's army service records suggest that he served initially in the Fourth Water Transport Company before being seconded to the North Australian Observer Unit, NAOU, a special operations unit, and that during his time with NAOU, Boxall rose rapidly in rank, being promoted from Lance Corporal to Lieutenant within three months. So, you know, if you want to go down the spy route, there's plenty there to connect to. Who doesn't like a good spy route? Right. Mm. And it's not that there haven't been cases of of spies being, you know, ferreted out and, and, and so on at this time. So yep. it's, it's a legitimate thing. <clears throat> now, post the formal inquest in 1949, the body of the unknown man was buried in Adelaide's West Terrace Cemetery, where the Salvation Army conducted the service. Boo, Salvation Army. Sorry, I have a problem with you. No, you have a problem with me and my people. <laughs> so boo you. <laughs> The South Australian Grandstand Bookmakers Association paid for the service to save the man from a pauper's burial. Hmm. This is burial's wedding. You're a terrible burial. (laughs) (laughs) Years after the burial, uh, flowers began appearing on the grave. Now, police questioned a woman seen leaving the cemetery, but she claimed she knew nothing of the man. About the same time, Ina Harvey, the receptionist from the Strathmore Hotel opposite Adelaide Railway Station, revealed that a strange man had stayed in room 21 or room 23 for a few days around the time of the death, checking out on the 30th of November 1948. Now, she recalled that he was English-speaking and only carrying a small black case, not unlike one a musician or a doctor might carry. When an employee looked inside the case, he told Harvey he had found an object inside the case he described as looking like a needle. Mm. Okay. Interesting. On the 22nd of November 1959, it was reported that one E.B. Collins, an inmate of New Zealand's Wunganai, Wunganu Prison, Wanganu Prison. Wanganui? Yeah. Please teach me on my Maori. Uh, Claim to know the identity of the dead man. <clears throat> there have been numerous unsuccessful attempts in the 70 plus years since its discovery to crack the letters found at the rear of the book, including efforts by military and naval intelligence, mathematicians and amateur code crackers. In 2004, retired detective Jerry Felter suggested in a Sunday Mail article that the final line which is all the letters, and you should all have seen that on our socials because <clears throat> mm-hmm. it's just gibberish, could stand for the initials of It's Time to Move to South Australia, Moseley Street. Now, Jessica Thompson, so if you looked at the letters, yes, the first letter of each word in that sentence, It's Time to Move to South Australia, Moseley Street, it could, mm-hmm. that's what that acronym or that coded word could potentially suggest. Okay. Now, why Mosley Street? Well, Jessica Thompson lived on Mosley Street, which is the main road through Glengling. A 2014 analysis by a computational... God, all the hard words. Yeah, they're hitting you with them tonight. 
my mouth is blah, all blah, wet blah, and blah, full blah. of wet, like saliva. <laughs> <clears throat> A 2014 analysis by computational linguist John Reeling strongly supports the theory that the letters consist of the initials of some English text, okay. but finds no match for these in a large survey of literature and concludes that the letters were likely written as a form of shorthand, not as a code, and that the original text can never likely or never be determined. So, difficult. The code isn't really taking us anywhere. Okay, yeah. Well, it's pretty, you know, open for interpretation. And I mm. guess codes are, in a way. But it doesn't really get, you know, they, they there was nothing to go off. There was no, like, key that they could work on. It's not like in, you know, the newspaper where they give you the kangaroo and that's an L. Exactly. And then they give you the kookaburra and that's a T. They had no start like that. Yeah. And, I mean, the point of this part of the story is just there's so many theories, right? There's There's a... You know, there's an inmate saying he knew the person. There's this lady that's like, I saw someone strange at a hotel. Like, there's so many things here that are worth investigating. Yeah. But you have to think of it situationally, right? And look at the whole picture. The big picture. In 1978, ABC TV, in its documentary series Inside Story, produced a program on the Taman Shad case titled The Somerton Beach Mystery, where reporter Stuart Littlemore investigated the case, including interviewing Boxall, who could add no new information, and Paul Lawson, who made the plaster cast of the body and who refused to answer a question about whether anyone had positively identified the body. Mm-hmm. In 1994, John Harbour Phillips, Chief Justice of Victoria and Chairman of the Victorian Institute of Forensic Medicine, reviewed the case to determine the cause of death and concluded that that it seems little doubt it was digitalis, so the poison Mm -hmm. that they found. Phillips supported his conclusion by pointing out that the organs were engorged, consistent with digitalis, and the lack of evidence of natural disease and the absence of anything seen macroscopically which could account for death. So it's kind of good that they've gone back and they've reconfirmed because, remember, there was a few examinations of the body and the cause of death was always a bit like, well, we don't know. Yeah, we don't really know. Yeah. Could be this, could be that. So we've, pardon the pun, reviewed the body to death. Yes. (laughs) And we're confident. That was great. We're confident. Digi. The Digi did it. Digi did it. Digi done it. Now, former South Australian Chief Superintendent Len Brown, who worked on the case in the 1940s, stated that he believed that the man was from a country in the Warsaw Pact, which led to the police's inability to confirm the man's identity. So all these people are just coming up with random shit and just saying stuff. Saying stuff. The South Australian Police Historical Historical Society holds the plaster bust which contains strands of the man's hair. Bing. Bing. We're going to start introducing a a new thing, Kate. Whenever there's a clue in our Uh story, let's just go bing. Okay, I love that. All right. Okay, any further attempts to identify the body have been hampered by the embalming formaldehyde having destroyed much of the man's DNA. Hmm. Other key evidence no longer exists, such as the brown suitcase, which was destroyed in 1986. Happy birthday to moi. Happy birthday. In addition, witness statements have disappeared from the police file over the years. Mm. Mm. I mean, you know what it's like when you move house 
Sometimes you misplace things. I guess it would be the same for, you know, a case that's 70 something what years old. You'll yeah. just start to misplace things. Absolutely. I can I can understand that. Okay, so now to some modern times or the beginnings of some modern times. Yes. Let me introduce you to our brickie of the week, Derek Abbott. <clears throat> Hi Derek, welcome to the pod. Now, in March 2009, a a University of Adelaide team led by Professor Derek Abbott began an attempt to solve the case through cracking the code and proposing to exhume the body to test for DNA. His investigations have led to questions concerning the assumptions police had made on the case. Abbott also tracked down the barber waxed cotton of the period and found packaging variations. So remember, on his body, they found this waxed cotton. Mm -hmm. This may provide clues to the country where it was purchased. Now, decryption of the code was being started from scratch. It had been determined the letter frequency was considerably different from letters written down randomly. The frequency was to be further tested to determine if the alcohol level of the writer could alter random distribution. The format of the code also appeared to follow the quatrain from uh, quatrain format of Rubaiyat, supporting the theory that the code was on a one-time pad encryption algorithm. Wow. So that technically just means that somewhere in the book relates yep. to the code. The code <clears throat> that they made. Okay, yeah. yeah. Copies of Rubaiyat, as well as the Talmud and Bible, were being compared to the code using computers to get a statistical base for letter frequencies. However, the code's short length meant the investigators would require the exact edition of the book used. With the original copy lost in the 1950s, so they don't even have the original book with the torn out page. Right. Researchers have been looking for a Fitzgerald edition, and God knows how different that might be. Yeah. An investigation had shown that the Summerton man's autopsy reports of 1948 and 1949 are now missing, and the Bar Smith Library's collection of Cleland's notes do not contain anything on the case. Who was the person who originally mm-hmm. investigated and did that? Yeah. Now, Masij, Masej Hennenberg, professor of anatomy at the University of Adelaide, examined images of the Summerton man's ears and found that his Simba upper ear hollow is larger than his cavum, which is the lower ear hollow, a feature possessed by only 1% to 2% of the Caucasian population. Stop it. Mm. In May uh, May 2009, Abbott consulted with dental experts who concluded that the Summerton man had hypodontia, a rare genetic disorder of both lateral incisors, a feature present again in only 2% of the general population. Stop it. Isn't That's science... so handy. Science, man. Wow. It's so cool. It's so cool. Pity I suck at science. but whatever. Oh, my brain does not fire in that area. <laughs> I guess, no, psychoco- psychology, psychology. Psychology, psychology, <laughs> linguistidos, uh, you know, all of those things you use your brains for. I'm not too <laughs> bad at that stuff anyway. No, it's true. <laughs> Fuck me. Um, you are my resident therapist, which I appreciate and love you for, so thank you. <laughs> In t- June 2010, Abbott obtained a photograph of Jessica Thompson's eldest son, Robin, no. which clearly showed that he like the unknown man, had not only a larger simba and cavum, but also hippodontia. Bing! Bing! (laughs) (laughs) 
That's wild. That's too rare. It's too rare. Those are double rares. So do you want to know how rare that is? Yes, please. I was trying to work out the maths, but again, maths, not my forte. 20 Holden VF Commodores that stacked on one another. 19 wine bottles <laughs> laid side by side. Now, the chance that this was a coincidence, coincidence has been estimated as between 1 in 10 million and 1 in 20 million. Wow, okay. So That's, it's possible, yeah. but you're more likely to win the lottery. <clears throat> yeah. Now, the media have suggested that Robin Thompson who was 16 months old in 1948 and died in 2009, may have been a child of either Boxall or the Summerton Man and passed off as Prosper Thompson's son. DNA testing would confirm or eliminate this speculation. Now, Abbott believes an exhumation and an autosomal DNA test that could link the Summerton Man to a short list of surnames which along with existing clues to the man's identity, would be the final piece of the puzzle. Bing! <laughs> Wait, is that, was that right? Do I do bings there or no? I like it. Bing, bing okay. away. I think we can bing. Now, after discovering that Robin Thompson had died in 2009, Abbott contacted Rachel, the daughter of Roma Egan and Robin Thompson. Okay. Who had been adopted and grew up in New Zealand. Now, Abbott and Rachel married in 2010, and they have three children. The family has a painting of the Summerton man hanging in their home. What? Believing him to be family. Right. However, Rachel Egan's DNA has been analysed and links were found to the grandparents of Prosper Thompson. So it was ruled out Prosper Thompson, who was Jessica Thompson's at the time, Yep. Blah, blah, blah. So That's not, the papa. Okay, yeah. not, not Somerton Man, based not on the Somerton. DNA. Yeah. In July 2013, Abbott released an artistic impression he commissioned of the Somerton Man, believing this might finally lead to an identification. Now, just, I want you all to remember, we're like late noughties, you know, back in mid-2000s, late noughties. Mm-hmm. Abbott, just remember our bro Derek. <clears throat> okay. All this time we've published, been publishing in the autopsy photo and it's hard to tell what some something looks like just from that, Abbott said. In December 2017, Abbott announced three excellent hairs at the right development stage for extracting DNA. Now, they had been found on the plaster cast of the corpse and had been submitted for analysis to the Australian Centre for Ancient DNA at the University of Adelaide. All right. So... Even after the formaldehyde, even after all this time, Derek and his team, D-Man, Dezza, Abbo. Desi. Dezza Labs. Abbott. Desi's Abs. Yep. Still managed to find three hairs which could be used. Mm -hmm. Now, processing the results could reportedly take up to a year. This is 2017. While much of the DNA is degraded, in February 2018, the University of Adelaide's team obtained a high-definition analysis of the mitochondrial DNA from the hair sample from Summerton Man. They found that the Summerton Man belonged to haplogroup uh, H4A1A1A, possessed Mm -hmm. by only 1% of Europeans. Okay. However, mitochondrial DNA is only inherited through the maternal line and therefore cannot be used to investigate a hereditary link between Rachel Egan, Abbott's wife, 
and the Summerton Man. Right. Difficult, eh? Okay. There's Just, a lot of links. Yeah. But I'm hanging on. All right. Put a pause on our D-Mandeza. Okay. 60 Minutes Investigation. Now, at the same time, in November 2013, relatives, relatives of Jeston or Jessica gave interviews to the Channel 9 Current Affairs Program 60 Minutes. Kate Thompson, the daughter of Jessica and Prosper Thompson, said that the, her mother was the woman interviewed by the police and that her mother had told her she had lied to them. <gasps> scandal. Jess, yeah, a scandal. A scandal. Jessica did know the identity of the Summerton man and his identity was also known to a level higher than the police force. Oh, okay. So we're circling back to some spy activity. Now, Thompson's father had died in 1995 and mother had died in 2007. She suggested that her mother and the Summerton man may both have been spies. Excuse me. Had a burp come up then. Oh, gracious. Noting that Jessica Thompson taught English to migrants, was interested in communism and could speak Russian. Okay. Although she would not disclose to her daughter where she had learned it or why. That's sus. It's so sus. Like, there's some sussery. I can't... Some sussery. (laughs) I can't imagine that Duolingo was a big hit (laughs) back in the 70s. So, you know, uh, it would be hard to pass that one. Yeah. Now, Robin Thompson's widow, Roma Egan, and their daughter, Rachel Egan, also appeared on 60 Minutes, suggesting that the Summerton man was Robin's father and therefore Rachel's grandfather. Now, we know that's not the case because... That's not the case. The DNA proved it. The Egans reported lodging a new application with the Attorney General, John Rao, to have the Summerton man's body exhumed and DNA tested. Abbott also subsequently wrote to Rao in support of the Egan, saying that the exhumation of DNA testing would be consistent with federal government policy of identifying soldiers in war graves and could bring closure to the families. Kate Thompson, however, opposed the exhumation as being disrespectful to her brother. Oh, okay. Exhumation. In October 2011, as interest in the case resurfaced, Attorney General John Rao refused to exhume the body, stating, there needs to be public interest reasons that go well beyond public curiosity or broad scientific interest. Felter said he was still contacted by people in Europe who believed the man was a missing relative but did not believe in exhumation and finding the man's family grouping would provide answers to relatives. As during that period, so many war criminals changed their names and came to different countries. <clears throat> In October 2019, however, Attorney General Vicky Chapman granted approval for his body to be exhumed to extract DNA for analysis. The parties interested in the analysis agreed to cover the costs. A potential granddaughter's DNA is planned to be compared to the unknown man's to see if it is a match. Mm. Now... An exhumation was carried out on the 19th of May, 2021. This is last year, folks. Last year. The remains were deeper in the ground than previously thought. It was reported that the body was exhumed as part of Operation Persevere and Operation Persist, which are investigating (laughs) historical unidentified remains in South Australia. I love that they've got their own operational names. Oh, the names. They're great. And I love how much time they would spend coming up with these names it would be fantastic it's south fucking australia like it ain't a big place it ain't a 
ain't a lot of people. No, I know. No disrespect, but everything shuts at 5pm in South Australia. It doesn't make sense. Now, the authorities have said that they intend to take DNA from the remains if possible. Dr. Anne Coxon of Forensic Science South Australia said the technology available to us now is clearly light years ahead of the techniques available when his body was discovered. Mm-hmm. And that tests would use every method at our disposal to try and bring closure to this enduring mystery. Yes. Okie dokie. We are almost at it, Kate. Just hold on a little oh bit God. longer. No, I'm loving this. You need the background. You, you need do. the background so that it's more impactful. Now, there have been a number of possible identifications that have been proposed over the years. Now, the newspaper The Advertiser, on reporting the discovery of the body, gave the possible identification as E.C. Johnson, about 45 of Arthur Street, Paynham. Excuse me. The following day... 3rd of December 1948, Johnson identified himself at a police station. So it oh, wasn't... He's like, guys, you've said that I died on a beach. It's n- I'm still here. Hello. Hi. <laughs> it's me. That same day, The News published, as in the paper, The News, published mm-hmm. a photograph of the dead man on its front page, leading to additional calls from members of the public about his possible identity. By the 4th of December, police had announced that the man's fingerprints were not on South Australian police records, forcing them to look further afield. On the 5th of December, the advertiser again reported that police were searching through military records after a man claimed to have had a drink with a person resembling the dead man at a hotel in Glengleng on the 13th of November. During their drinking session, the mystery man supposedly produced a military pension card bearing the name Solomonson. Oh, Solomonson. Solomonson. That sounds like it's made up. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, what's your name? Uh, Jimmy Solomonson. <laughs> <laughs> or you're that drunk, you're just like, Solomonson. 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 Have you read this book? It's very funny. <laughs> <laughs> Let me write down my phone number. <laughs> Maybe that was the code. He yeah. wrote it on the same night. <laughs> exactly. Now, in early January 1949, two people identified the body as, as that of 63-year-old former woodcutter Robert Walsh. Oh. A third person, James Mack, also viewed the body initially but he could could initially not identify it, but an hour later he contacted police to claim that it was Walsh. Mm. Now, James Max stated that the reason he did not confirm this at the viewing was a difference in the colour of the hair. Now, Walsh because, had left... yeah, you can't do that any other way, but, like, <laughs> it couldn't possibly be him. He's got slightly blonder hair than what I remember. <laughs> yeah. Now, Walsh had actually, in fact, left Adelaide several months earlier to buy sheep in Queensland, but had failed to return at Christmas as planned. Police were sceptical, believing Walsh to be too old to be the dead man anyway, 63. Mm-hmm. However, the police did state that the body was consistent with that of a man who had been a woodcutter. Remember, he had the calves. Big old rough hands and... Yeah. Yeah. Although the state of the man's hands indicated that he had not cut wood for at least 18 months, though. So there were some other things that did not match. Yeah. Any thoughts that a positive identification had been made were quashed, however, when Elizabeth Thompson, one of the people who had earlier positively identified the body as Welsh, 
retracted her statement after a second oh. viewing of the body where the absence of a particular scar, as well as the size of the dead man's legs. This man's legs must be like... Oh, my God. Like elephantitis legs. So he must have some serious, like Arnold Schwarzenegger, you know, circa bloody Venice Beach. Yeah, Savage Man does not skip leg day. <laughs> he does not. He's all about it. Yeah. By early February 1949, there had been eight different positive identifications of the body, including two Darwin men who thought the body was of a friend of theirs and others who thought it was a missing station worker, a worker on a steamship, or even a Swedish man. Hmm. Can I just sidebar for one moment? Please, sidebar. You may get to it, so please tell me if you do. But does anybody know what happened to Robert Walsh? Or is that a different story? No, he was. Was he he fine? He was fine. He just never came back. Oh, okay. From he just Queensland. stayed up in Queensland with yeah. the sheeps. Yeah. Okay, cool. Just yeah. checking because I was just that was going to niggle at me. Yep. Now, good question. You're a, you're a sleuth. I love Thanks. it. Thanks. Um, amateur detective. What is it? Crime solver. I'm a crime solver. solver. <laughs> <laughs> now, detectives from Victoria initially believed the man was from there because of the similarity of the laundry marks to those used by several dry cleaning firms in Melbourne. God, that's technical. Well, that's really yeah. That's <clears> that's picking it. You know, grasping at straws. CSI Adelaide. Do, 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 do. <laughs> Could you imagine that? Love it. <clears throat> now, Victoria Detective disproved all the claims and said that other investigations indicated it was unlikely that he was from Victoria. A seaman named Tommy Reed from the SS Cycle in, a, in port at the time was thought to be the dead man. But after oh. some of his shipmates viewed the body at the morgue, they stated categorically that the corpse was not that of Reed. Mm-hmm. And he was back on the ship cooking them dinner in the mess. <laughs> they need to check before they get people to like come and look at this dead body. Just make sure that the person they're claiming it is, that he's not back yeah. at the boat. Yeah. Imagine that. Just like, oh, we're going to go off and have a look at this dead body we think is you. We'll be right back. Oh, no, not him. <laughs> Believe yeah. it or not. Now, by November 1953, police announced that they had recently received the 251st solution to the identity of the body from members of the public. (laughs) That would be us as crime solvers. Yeah. We've solved this case 251 times. (laughs) I love that they waited for 251. They're not like, oh, let's celebrate 250. (laughs) 250. Little balloons. Yeah, Barry, put up the poster in the office. Yeah, put the cake cake out again, darling. (laughs) Let's have a cake. (laughs) Love it. You know you're Australian when you rock up with a Woolies chocolate cake. Oh, yes, please. Yeah. But. They did say that the only clue of any value remained the clothing the man wore. So, you know, they're they're on Struggle Street. They really are. In 2011, an Adelaide woman contacted biological anthropologist Henberg about an identification card of an H.C. Reynolds that she found in her father's possessions. Now, the card, a document issued in the United States to foreign seamen during World War I, was given to Henberg on October 2011 for comparison to the ID photograph to that of the Summerton man. While Henberg found anatomical similarities in features such as nose, lips and eyes, he believed they were not, they were not as reliable as the, the close similarity to, of the ear. Mm-hmm. The ear shapes shared by both men were a very good match, although Henberg also found that he called a unique identifier a mole on the cheek that was the same shape and in the same position in both photographs. 
Together with the similarity of the ear characteristics, this mole in a forensic case would allow me to make a rare statement positively identifying the Somerton man. Mm. Now, the ID card numbered 58757 was issued in the United States on the 28th of February 1918 to 1HC Reynolds, giving his nationality as British and age as 18. Now, searches conducted by the U.S. National Archives, the U.K. National Archives and the Australian War Memorial Research Centre have failed to find any records relating to 1HC Reynolds. What? Oh, that would be so annoying. Like, what are the bloody chances? Oh, and you, like, find this and you think you've, like, cracked it. Guys, we're at 252. (laughs) We're doing it. We're really doing it. And then they can't find anything. The South Australian Police Major Crime Branch, who still have the case listed as open, will investigate the new information. Some independent researchers believe the ID card belonged to H.C. Reynolds. His name was Horace Charles Reynolds, a Mm -hmm. Tasmanian man who died in 1953 and therefore could not have been the Somerton man. Oh, God. Okay, take a deep breath. Okay, I'm just getting so annoyed. (laughs) Because we're so close. (laughs) (laughs) I just want them to solve it. Like, wouldn't you just imagine being in the police force for like 30 years? So doing your whole career, 30, 40 years, however long people have careers for, I I don't know. And you are, this is just constantly there. This Somerton man, Somerton man, Somerton man. You'd be like, give me a break. And it's not like they're getting weak leads. Like some of them are shit for sure. You know, 230 of them are shit. But the other <laughs> 21. <laughs> Those dry cleaning labels look like they're from, you know, the laundromat on Smith Street. Yeah. Like, you've got to give them credit. They've done a cracker of a job. They have, it's not like people have ignored this or not followed up things here. They've really tried yeah. and they've had some pretty damn close calls. Yeah. <clears throat> now, before I get to the most recent updates, oh my god! Oh god! Are puberty, you okay, okay today? Yeah, that's all right. It was finally meant to happen. <clears throat> now <laughs> there has been lots of pop culture and media about this. Excellent. Now there is a um, there's a book called The Unknown Man: A Suspicious Death at Summerton Beach by Gerald Michael Feltus that was published in 2010. Go read it. Mm-hmm. There is Tum and Shud: The Summerton Man Mystery by Kerry Greenwood that was published in 2012. Mm-hmm. The case was. Do I have co- to read that one? Yeah, the case. No, okay. don't read that one. Shit, that one. <laughs> Fuck, Carrie. Just read the first one. Yeah. <laughs> now the case was covered by Case File True Crime Podcast. Go Case File. Rep Go the Case Aussies. File. We Welcome to you. the pod. Love you, Case File. Uh, now this is how. So if you don't know Case File, by the way, and you're listening to our podcast, you need to go listen to Case File. Case File, pretty much was one of the first podcasts in the world to really kick off true crime podcasting. And it is this legend of a person all on his lonesome, just doing hardcore research. Like Kate and yeah. I think we do research. No, this, this, this genius. Oh, um, excuse me. I look at at least two to three websites per <laughs> podcast. Like it's a lot. And I mean, yes, maybe the first or second are both Wikipedia, but the third one's usually <laughs> another source like the Daily Mail. Yeah. And, and I'm not, I'm not, you know, shitting on us, Kate, but. <laughs> no, I completely agree. It's another level. It's, a, yeah, it's such a high level yep. of work and effort that goes into this and the background research and the and having something too because 
with our pod, we like to keep it, you know, light. We keep it fresh. We'll talk about some heavy stuff, but at the same time, we just like having banter with each other, really. So, you know, we're not necessarily going to spend an hour and a half talking about one subject in depth. Yeah. Raquel O'Brien, sorry. Um, so go go listen to Case File, but Case File True Crime Podcast in case number two. Oh, wow. The Summerton Man aired on January 2016. Like, that's how epic this story is. And a few of our yeah. bod- Boopod Network folks have reached out to us and said that Summer to Man was actually one of their first episodes too. So That's right. Yeah, one of their favourite stories, which is awesome. But no one released an episode where it got some because we did a <laughs> boop, boop, boop. Actually, we're probably the first podcast out there that's done a wrap-up episode. So Oh, my God, we could be. Yeah. I love that. Uh, episode 50 of the podcast, My Favourite Murder, Discuss the Case. Got to love the gals at My, my Favourite Murder. Absolutely. And in 2019, ABC's Radio National released a six-part series titled The Summerton Man Mystery. So, like, books and shit have been coming out in the past four or five years, Kate, all about this. And mm. bump but a bum here we go. bump but a bum On the 27th of July, which was a Wednesday, this year at 9.02 a.m., Daniel Keane, which... Tell me that isn't spooky because there was oh, tea keen or whatever it was in yes. the labels. That's what I was going to say. And Gabriella oh. Machant released this article on abc.net.au. Summerton Man identified as Melbourne electrical engineer, researcher says. Oh. Here we, I'm just reading it verbatim, folks. Please, because so I haven't good. read it and I've really wanted to read the article. So please hit me with it. I want to hear it. It's not long. A researcher in the case of the Summerton man says he has solved the decades-old mystery identifying the figure as a Melbourne-born electrical engineer. University of Adelaide researcher D-Man Abbott. D-Man, Madeza, Maderick Abbott. Yeah. What a bro. He believes the unknown man found slumped and lifeless at Adelaide Summerton Beach on December 1st, 1948 was Carl Charles Webb. C.C. Webb. Yep. C.C. Webb, a 43-year-old engineer and instrument maker. Ooh. The case has long baffled detectives and amateur sleuth and is regarded as one of Australia's most enduring mysteries because of strange clues linked to it, including a suspected code in a book of, per- a book of co- Persian poems. While the mystery man's remains were exhumed last year by South Australia Police, Professor Abbott has in the meantime persisted with his own independent efforts to crack the case. He said, after using hairs found from a plaster bust of the man to gather DNA evidence, researchers in Australia and America had further narrowed the search to build out a family tree containing over 4,000 people. Oh my God. Imagine that. So I'm picturing this on someone's wall in their office with all the red bits of string. This person's related to this person and this person's this person. That's like an Ancestry.com dream. Yeah, yeah. And Kate, we could be one of those 4,000 people. We we genuinely could. Yeah, I know. Like grandma's like from Adelaide. I know. Oh, my God. Oh, we need to look into this. I know. Could you imagine? Yeah, Kate, I was so excited to share this news. Oh! Like for, for oh our God. listeners, um, our family, um, yeah. on side, like our connection, family connection originates from Adelaide. So we could be yeah. related. Oh my God, we could be. <clears throat> now, That's wild. 
Working in conjunction with US investigator Colleen Fitzpatrick, Professor Abbott said that in March this year, suspicions fell on Webb, who was born in 1905, but later identified as a person with no death record. Professor Abbott, who last week spoke to the ABC about his work, this is where I got my little clue, added the final pieces of DNA proof came into place on Saturday, triangulating to Charles Webb. Oh, Charles Webb. Professor Abbott said Webb was born in Footscray on November 16th, 1905 to Richard August Webb, 1866 to 1939, and Eliza Amelia Morris Grace, 1871 to 1946. So we need to look them up, Kate, see if they're cousins. He said their investigations had also found a link to the name T. Keene, which was printed on the Somerton man's tie. Mm. It turns out that Carl Webb has a brother-in-law called Thomas Keene, who lived just 20 minutes' drive away from him in Victoria. Stop it! Mm -hmm. Oh, I love this so much. So it's not out of the question that these items of clothing he had with T. Keene on them were just hand-me-downs from his brother-in-law. Of course. Oh, that's so, oh, so satisfying. Yep. Professor Abbott also said there was a potential explanation as to why the Melbourne resident was in Adelaide. We can't say for sure, but we can speculate, he said. We have evidence that he had separated from his wife and that she had moved to South Australia, so possibly he had come to track her down. Mm. Like, hello, there's Mrs. Webb out there, or ex-Mrs. Webb. Yeah. Who surely was looking at papers. Surely. Now, next section, relatives alive. Now, Professor Abbott said the team had used popular genealogical DNA databases like Ancestry.com to find Mr. Webb's distant relatives. The first cousin we found was on his paternal side and the second one we found was on the maternal side, he said. So it's a triangulation from two different totally distant parts of the tree. So that's very convincing. He said he had tracked down and spoken to Mr. Webb's living relatives already. So I guess, you know, we haven't had a call yet, Kate, but... Yeah, yeah, I I suppose. I mean... But if it was from a private number, I'm not picking it up. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. So, (laughs) please, please don't call me from a private number and please don't call me from Cuba and Guatemala. I'm not picking up, Dala. I really am not. Yeah, Derek, if you're trying to get a hold of us, love... (laughs) Sign up to our Patreon. Yes, send us a message. (laughs) All right. Now, I have spoken to them, except they're all of a generation well below him, and so none of them knew him and have no photos in their old family albums or in their garden sheds, unfortunately. I'm hoping as his name gets out there, there will be somebody that will have an old photo album in a garden shed somewhere. Why, Derek, why are you so obsessed with garden sheds? Duh, why are they in the garden shed? Nobody's keeping shit in their garden sheds. Like ours are in the linen cupboard upstairs in a box. And if there's a house fire, we'll lose all sense of memory of our history. So (laughs) it's called a scanner, mum. (laughs) It's a scanner. I can scan them for you. No, just leave them. My mum's not 80. I made her sound like she was 80 then. She's Sorry, Kaz. <laughs> <laughs> now, he added that there was sufficient DNA evidence to definitely disprove any links with his wife, Rachel Egan, whose mm-hmm. father, ballet dancer Robin Thompson, was believed to have potentially been a descendant of the Summerton Man. So all sure. that bullshit. All gone. In the gone. bin. 
pop that under case file 251 because 252 is where it's at. So the fact that Thompson has a rare dental and ear condition matching the Summerton man, we just talked about Thompson, yep. appears to be that one in 10 million, one in 20 You're million. Choking. God, wouldn't that give you the shits? Yep. That's like such hardcore evidence and it turns out to just be a massive coincidence. Coinky dink. Wow. Now the search continues. Professor Abbott said after more than a decade on the case, the discovery felt like summiting a mountain. Hopefully not the one from Miracle Flight 571. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Call back. It kind of feels like climbing Mount Everest and having that mixture of elation that you're at the top, but also tiredness and exhaustion. Yeah. However, he said his work is not over. Now there's the historical work of actually digging further and finding out about the man's life and his circumstances and what might have actually led to this particular situation. Mm. So he leaves it off with, so there's still work to do. Deza, you dreamboat. Ugh. So before we wrap up, okay. some lingering things. If you are related or any of these names that I've just read out, ring mm-hmm. to any of our listeners because you never know the chances. One in 20 fucking million bloody yeah. Thompson and thing had the same droopy ears, ears and yeah. <laughs> teeth. buck teeth. <laughs> you never know. Someone could be listening to this podcast right now and could be related Randomly. and have a so photo true. album in a garden shed. So yeah, if you've got, go and have a look in your garden sheds, everyone. See what you've got. Look it up. There's all that side that still needs to be discovered, Kate. Like there are mm. people alive today that have a connection and possibly know, you know, yeah. know this person. You always know when like you were a little kid and they, you'd have all those big family gatherings and there'd be like uncles and like cousins and all this who were older and you were like the little two-year-old or whatever in the picture. Yep. There could be those photos out there where they're all gathered around the, the Christmas table or, yep. you know, all standing around in their stubby shorts with a VB and a Siggy and they're, you know, one of those people in the pictures could be this, you know, CC web. Yeah. Oof. And if there's photos, there might be letters. And if there are letters, oh. there might be some context about what had happened between cc webb and his wife who had moved and escaped to south australia maybe they broke up maybe they divorced who knows you know i'm sure that that information is probably already known but all that context is still findable if after all these years we can do this there could be that box of shit that your great grandmother passed down to you and you never scanned because yeah you never looked in it doesn't want to it could be there. So all that still needs to be discovered. But then they also need to, and they may never find this out, is why was he, you know, why was he, was he drunk? Was yeah. he, did he poison himself on purpose? Was it suicide or was it accidental? Yeah. Was he taken so out by someone? Mm, because, jealous boyfriend? Yeah. Like, you know, we don't know. So when we say the case is solved, the mystery of who the Summerton man has been solved, but not yeah. all answers have been yeah. found. Oh my god, Mike that was so fantastic! Drop, Kate. Woo! Um, you reminded me before I end. Of amazing job. I love that so much. When you're talking about things that people find that, like Grammy, might have in a box and hand down. Um, Mum went to grandma's place our mm. grandma's no longer with us and uh there was a box of things and our grandfather was a driver and he actually drove prince philip around when he came to australia and mum was looking through some things with our uncle john and found an original like the actual menu of a dinner 
that had dinner for Prince Philip and had the whole menu listed that grandpa had taken and and saved and we still have it. So it is from, yeah, this time when grandpa drove Prince Philip around, there's a picture of, of grandpa with Prince Philip and his, you know, his other people. Um, phenomenal and I said to mum I said well what was on the menu what were they eating <laughs> yeah and she said oh I didn't remember and I, so we'll have to do an episode I'll, I'll get my hands on that I'll get a picture of it um but that just sprung to mind because that's something that blows my mind I was like that's such an amazing piece of history a like print not even printed yeah they were probably all handwritten I don't even know but I have to get my hands on that and we will definitely talk about that in another episode but if yeah if you've got things in your garden shed, pull them out. Have a bit of a look. Oh, Kate, I've never heard that story before. Yeah. Like, obviously, I knew he was a truck driver and I've heard all the stories about his knowledge of diesel engines is why he got the job as working as a truck driver, all that amazing yeah. stuff. But, my goodness, that's like museum-worthy type thing. Totally. Someone would, if they don't have a copy of that, someone would totally be keen to to see, Absolutely. see that sort of thing. So Yeah, for sure. So yeah, I'll speak to um I'll speak to Mum and we'll get our hands on it and we can have a bit of a chat about it oh. in, in another episode at some point. Do a bit of a history app. Yes. Well Yay. Oh Dom, that was so fantastic. I'm so glad that I waited and I didn't read the article. I just saw it on Twitter and forwarded it and said I'm not looking at it. Can't wait for the next episode. And it did not disappoint. Thank you so, so much for sharing that story and putting in the work for that. You are most welcome. And there, there's other articles that have come out since. There's a full-blown interview with Derek Abbott. It is worth going and reading if you're really interested in this case. There's so yeah. much detail and information out there. And we just don't have time to go through it all. Sure. But um, really proud of us being able to do a real life soul story as it's happening. Yay, type thing. I know. Oh God, I can't believe it. That's so cool. And very, very well done. Mm-hmm. I'm going to, um, yeah, delight you all next week with the most crackers story <laughs> I have read. And there's been a few doozies, but this one, I'm actually going to put Dom um, under the pump a little bit because I'm actually going to send you some, audio clips of things that we are going to hopefully incorporate into our edit so that our listeners can hear some of this absolutely crackers stuff that I have found. I, yeah, I won't give it away. Just listen. It's amazing. Join me. Join us. Bring it on. Join us. I'm so ready for that, Kate. I would love for us to be sharing some more media of these stories. And if you've got audio files, oh, can't wait. Let's do it. See, right, now I have blue balls. You can have blue boobs, but <laughs> I've, I've got, got boobs. I've got blue balls because I want to know what this is all about. It's going to be so much fun. Cool. I cannot wait. All right, lovely. I will see you so soon. Thank you so much, listeners, for joining us. Don't forget our Patreon and our socials. Interact with us. Send us picky. Send us questions. Send us just little comments. We don't mind. We love you all. All right. Bye. Bye-bye. Have a good time. Ciao, ciao. Bye-bye. That's a wrap. Big shout out to everyone for tuning in to Shit and Bricks. Don't forget to subscribe, rate and review us. Plus, you can find extra little nuggets on our socials. Next week, we'll be back talking more shit, so do not forget to tune in. And remember to wipe, flush and wash your hands. Goodbye. Goodbye.